Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 to 15. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his face was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. The second reading comes from Romans, chapter 15, verse 14 through to 16, verse 7. So buckle in, it's a long reading. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, le- through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders and through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it was written, those who were not told about him will hear, will see, and those who have not heard about him will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor, for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for God, to God for me. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there, so that I might come to you with joy by God's will And in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. 
I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Good morning. Hello, my name is Stephen, one of the ministers here. When I was in um, Bible college one time, one of the lecturers was preaching at, at chapel. And afterwards, my friend and I were chatting to him at morning tea, and my friend said to this lecturer, that was a bit of a bumpy ending to your sermon. I kind of stood back and thought, whoa, what's going to happen here? That's, that's quite rude. This friend was like that. Out there, I, I must have tuned out because I didn't notice that bumpy ending during the sermon either. But the lecturer, he didn't get annoyed. He just said, yeah, I, I didn't really get time to work on the ending, so it was kind of a crash landing, really. <laughs> Very humble and honest. Now, when you first read Paul's ending to his letter here, if you've been paying attention the whole way through Romans... You could feel a little bit like this ending is a bit bumpy, a bit of a crash landing. It feels like a, a, a crunch in the gears and a bit unrelated to the, the kind of wonder of the rest of the letter that we've been looking at. But it's actually the opposite. What we have here is a key part of the letter and it's key because it, it actually gives us the whole reason why Paul has been writing this letter to them in the first place. In fact, the first thing we see as this letter ends is that Paul returns to where he began. What we see in this conclusion is that Paul says the gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere. And this is pretty much what he was saying at the beginning, at the start. If you look way back in the first few verses, he wrote, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. In his intro, way back when we looked at this at the beginning, we saw that Paul says he's obligated to God, he's obligated to share the gospel message and see it go out into all the world. And he finishes this letter full circle in verse 16 saying, God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. Four times in the intro, he mentions the word gospel. Four times in his conclusion today, he mentions the word gospel. And if you've been here with us since March 2021, when we first started this letter, I hope you've noticed by now that this is a letter that's all about the gospel. In his intro, Paul explained the gospel in a nutshell, and then across the whole letter, he explains the gospel in breathtaking beauty. Do you remember back in the intro, Paul says, even back then, that he'd, he'd longed to get to them in Rome to encourage them with this gospel message. They already know the gospel, but he, he longed to take them deeper. And then that's exactly what he starts to do in this letter. It's a deep dive 
into the gospel. Let me very quickly remind you of some of the the key things that, that we've seen in Romans along the way. So straight after his intro... Paul tells us, he told us about the the problem that we all face. In chapter 1, he said, we're all guilty of failing God. And then in chapter 2, we saw this is true whether you're, you're a Jew who should know better because you have God's law. But it's also true if you're not a Jew, a Gentile, and God's not even on your radar. No matter how religious we are or how many rules or rituals we follow or how good we might seem... It doesn't change the truth. We all ignore God. We all reject God. We all sin against God. And so we all face God's anger. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 really summed up the first part, the first three chapters. And Paul wrote, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of our sin." But then in the very next verse, Paul tells us what God tells us in the gospel. He writes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is the gospel message. We can be righteous in God's eyes, not by what we do, but only as a gift that we simply receive by trusting in Jesus. Paul goes on in in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's what we've been celebrating on Good Friday and at Easter time. And then in chapter 4, Paul said, This is always been God's plan this has always been the way that God works even from Abraham the first Jew he wasn't made right with God by anything he did he was made right with God by trusting in the promises that God gave him then in chapter 5 we saw that if we've been made right with God in the past because of what Jesus did at the cross then we can be a hundred percent confident right now and in the future that we'll always be right with God. We'll never, ever face His judgment. Then we saw in chapters 6 and 7 that being right with God through faith, it it doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want to do. We don't go nuts, sinning like crazy because it doesn't really matter because we're forgiven anyway. Actually being forgiven and made right in God's eyes, has the strange opposite effect on us. Now that we belong to Jesus, we want to live for Him, and we want to obey Him, not so much out of fear, but out of love. And then in chapter 8, we saw that God's Spirit lives in us, and helps us to live as God's obedient children, waiting for that day when Jesus will return and and make everything right. Then in chapters 9, 10, 11... They're, they're a bit strange for us, but they answer an important question for them. If Jesus is such good news, if this was always how God intended things to be, if God never gives up on his children, then what about all the Jews who were rejecting Jesus? And we saw God doesn't save people because they're born into it. God never promised 
Abraham that all his physical descendants would be saved. He promised him that those who had faith would be saved. And then finally, in chapters 12, 13, 14 and the start of 15, we saw the amazing difference that the gospel makes to life now. Changes, transforms the way we think, transforms how we live. It, it, it changes the way we treat each other, changes the way we even think of our government, changes the way that we think of each other when we differ on different things. The gospel has a huge impact in a truly beautiful way. So that's Paul's deep dive in the gospel. That, that kind of captures it in a couple of minutes, what we just did in, in 12 months. But today, we see why Paul is writing this letter. This is something that we haven't seen much of so far. Why is he going into all this detail about the gospel? Especially since he says they already know all this. And in, in verse 15, he says, even though they can teach each other all these things, he says, yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. This whole letter is Paul making sure they're all on the same page. Because this hasn't just been an academic exercise for him. The gospel shapes everything about his life and he wants it to shape everything about their life too. And particularly he wants them to see that the gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere. Look at how the gospel has impacted what Paul thinks matters for his life. In verse 18 he says, I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You can see those two places on this map here. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. And Paul recognises that it's God's work, but that God does that work through him as he works hard for God. And so he can say in verse 23, but now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. I mean, look at the size of that region, Jerusalem, right round to Illyricum. There's no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul's saying that Everyone in that area now has access to the gospel message about Jesus because of the churches that he started. It's not that they all believe, it's all that they, have access, they all have access. And so Paul, because he sees that the gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere, he leaves those people behind in those churches to keep taking the gospel message. But he says his role is to go to new places. And so he's coming now to Rome but his purpose is not to be there with them, it's to get to Spain. Not for the beaches or the weather or even the tapas, surprisingly. He wants to get there because the people in Spain have got no way yet to hear the gospel unless he gets there. Now, just think about that because we're kind of touching on why Paul is writing this letter. Is it a bit rude? You know, is this like when people come to stay with you, but you know it's not really you that they're coming to see, it's, it's the Barossa Valley. Has that ever happened to you? 
you know, some people not only come for the Brossa Valley, but also the, the free childminding service that you offer as well. Is that what's going on here? Well, in one sense, Paul is, is being completely upfront. Seeing them is a bonus, but they're not his main goal. His main goal really is reaching the people who have got no way of hearing the gospel. And he anticipates that rather than them being offended by this, they'll actually be on board. And the purpose of this letter is to help them be on board. To help them be on board by reminding them just how important the gospel is. And so he says in verse 23, I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. And this brings us to our second point. So we've seen the gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere. And so Paul says, we're all in this together. He wants them to keep taking the gospel message there in Rome. And he wants them to help him take the gospel message to Spain. But actually, when you look at this conclusion, it's actually bigger than just them in Rome and Paul going to Spain. It's really clear at the end of this letter that Paul sees Christians everywhere he wants christians everywhere to be all on the same page all in this together proclaiming the gospel throughout the world now we know humans love to divide we divide over race over age over gender over politics over social status over almost anything but when my whole life and identity and future is is completely in Christ and when it's the same for you well then what human barrier could possibly be relevant to us anymore none look at what Paul says he's going to be doing before he comes to them in Rome in verse 25 he says now however I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Now what's happening here is that Paul's working hard to encourage the barriers between Jews and Gentiles to be completely broken down in Jesus. Jews and Gentiles naturally hated each other. But here you have Gentile Christians in Macedonia and Achaia sending money to Jewish Christians they've never even met who've been hit hard by a famine that happened at that time. And Paul invites the Romans not to be spectators in this, but to join him. Look at verse 30. He says, Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. He wants them to pray that he'll be kept safe, but also that the Jewish believers will actually accept this money, this gift. Because by accepting it, they're accepting that they're all in this together. Whether Jew or Gentile is a very public act. And conversely, if they reject it, then they're rejecting. They're saying, no, we're not all in this together And that would go against the gospel and it would go against the gospel going out into the whole world. Paul wants Christians everywhere to see we're all in this together. And we see this actually in the final greetings 
that Paul writes. Uh, Suz bravely tackled a few of those for us, but they go on and they get harder and harder as you go on. Now, if you're like me, it's kind of hard to get excited about a list of, of names that you, you don't know who they are at the end of a letter like Romans. But actually, this list demonstrates what Paul's talking about. So, for example, you see in the names reflected in the greetings that they're Jews and they're Gentiles, like in 16 verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. Now, most of the names, most of the people Paul greets in the church in Rome are Gentiles, but among them is this mix of Jews as well. And you see a whole heap of other human barriers being broken down by the gospel and for the sake of the gospel. Like, as you read through, there are nine women listed in the greetings. Five of them are said to work hard in the Lord. And all of them are greeted as equal partners in Jesus and in the gospel mission. Their ministry is absolutely just as critical as anyone else's. And as you look through the names in the greetings, apparently you can tell which ones are the names of people who were born slaves and which ones are the names of people who were born free. There was a difference in how they named back then. In the Roman world, 20 to 30% of people were slaves. It'd be like a whole kind of wing over here. And the names here actually list the same kind of ratio of slaves to free people. And the point is, Paul greets them all here as equal partners in Jesus. Equal partners in this mission to see Jesus proclaimed everywhere. Slave and free people, all equal in the gospel, all critical in proclaiming it. The barriers of of social status, of gender, of race are all broken down in Jesus and in his mission. And if you notice the, the end of this letter, it sounds a lot like real people in a real place. That's because it is. Sometimes you'll hear people say that they think the Bible is, is made up stories, made up a long time after the events. Have you heard that kind of thinking? But, but the end of, of Romans is just one place that shows that that's rubbish. In um, chapter 16, verse 23, Paul writes, Erastus who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. Do you know, they've actually dug up a bit of pavement from that time in Corinth that has Erastus's name written on it, engraved on it. You can see it for yourself up there on the left. The E is kind of just cut off, but even though it's in Latin, you can make it out for yourself. It's highly likely this is the same person. Paul was a, a real person writing to real people in Rome, about Jesus who really did die and rise again. And he writes because Jesus is going to return to judge. And he knows the only way to be righteous in God's eyes is by having faith in him. And Paul wants us all, them, all of them, to be on the same page in this and in taking this message about Jesus to the world, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, people within a church, between churches as well, and across cities. He says they're all in this together. And so Paul asks for their prayer, for their practical support, 
and for their funding to get to Spain. He asked for their hospitality for believers they haven't even met. He asked for their friendship within churches, friendship between churches and between cities. None of the the usual barriers that keep humans apart matter when Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. What matters is that people get to hear about him. I read a a news article the other day about a, a city in Ukraine called Odessa. And when Rome invaded Ukraine, all the people who stayed behind in Odessa were incredibly united in getting the city ready to resist invasion. So people filled sandbags and and put them in the streets to block tanks. People sewed camouflage gear for snipers. Whether they were rich or poor or male or female, right wing or left wing, old barriers just disappeared in the face of their mission. They didn't mean anything. That guy that you could see up there, he's a pianist, but there he is filling sandbags. The mission mattered most. Now, we have even more reason to put aside old barriers because we're not just united in mission. We're united in Jesus himself. He is our Lord and Saviour. But this actually brings us to our last point because what matters even more than unity is actually being on the same page, just getting along, being nice, being seen to be united is useless. What matters is being on the same page because we do all, in fact, have Jesus as Saviour and Lord. This is our last point. The gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere and we're all in this together. But Paul says there are some who aren't with us. Look at verse 17. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've, you have learned. Now, what we've seen, Paul really wants to get rid of all divisions, to see everyone united, but more important than being united is being united around the right thing. Do you see what Paul's saying? There shouldn't be barriers between us, not one kind of barrier that humans normally throw up. But where people put obstacles to others trusting Jesus or obeying Jesus, then look at what Paul tells us to do in verse 17. He says, keep away from them. Paul tells us, yes, we should be united, but never should we dilute or corrupt or change the gospel by working together with those who actually are going to throw obstacles in the path of people knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And he tells us why in verse 18. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Now, these people might look like they're on the same page, but if they're not urging others to trust in Jesus alone, they're not urging people to obey Jesus alone as Lord, then they're causing division and they're putting up obstacles. They're sabotaging the mission, whether they realize it or not. And don't think that these kind of people, what these, these people will say is unappealing. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. See, it's not always easy to see the obstacles that people are putting there. And you know, sometimes they'll tell you they're not 
putting obstacles. They'll tell you they're actually removing obstacles. They're helping Jesus to be more culturally acceptable. Do you know that's exactly what the people in in Paul's day were doing as well? The Jews thought they were removing obstacles by adding back in the Old Testament requirements of the law. They thought that was making Jesus more acceptable to other Jews. The Gentiles thought they were removing obstacles by downplaying the idea of of a physical bodily resurrection. They thought by changing that idea, softening that idea, it would remove the obstacles to other Gentiles. And for us today, there's all sorts of ways that that people are telling us that they're trying to remove obstacles. But what they're really doing is tripping people up by stopping them listening to God as He speaks to us in Scripture. What they're really telling you is you don't need to obey Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Now, there are lots and lots of churches and lots and lots of people that we're completely on the same page, same page with. But we actually do need to be aware that there are some people that we'd love to be on the same page as, but we're not. And don't hear me criticizing other denominations here. Sadly, my own denomination is, is one of the most obvious examples of what Paul says that we should be watching out for. You know, when you you become an Anglican minister, you're asked this. Are you convinced that the Holy Scriptures contain all doctrine required of necessity for eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? And will you instruct the people committed to your care from the Scriptures and teach nothing as required of necessity to eternal salvation except what you are convinced may be proved by the Scriptures? And the Anglican minister answers, I am convinced and will do so by God's grace. But you know what you sadly hear some say today? Heard it too many times. You don't really need to believe in Scripture as the Word of God. You don't obey Jesus by obeying Scripture. In fact, what you need to do is bring Scripture up to date because it's out of date culturally. The gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere. We're all in this together. But make no mistake, there are some who aren't with us. And that's how Paul finishes and concludes his letter to Romans after giving a great reminder of the gospel in the last words. So that's Romans. Finished. And so inspired by my lecture, that I, lecture that I mentioned at the beginning, I'm, I'm going to see if I can crash land this sermon right now for us. So I'm just going to list out some things that if if we're going to take God's Word seriously, as we've seen it, then we've got to take these away with us. It's going to be a bit bumpy, but here we go. So first, are you righteous in God's eyes? If you haven't reached a point where you know that you're completely right with God, then a crash landing application of Romans says to you, Do something about it today. And the one and only thing that you can do about it is trust in Jesus. There's no other way to be right in God's eyes. Nothing else will save you from facing God's anger. Now, if you're not sure exactly what that means to trust in Jesus, what that looks like, do something about it. Come and talk to Mark or me today. Okay, that's that's the first bump 
on this crash landing. Here's the second. Do you get that the gospel needs to be proclaimed everywhere? Do you want to see the gospel go out into your own backyard right through to the other side of the world? Is your life shaped by that desire? Taking the gospel to your kids if you have them. Taking the gospel to your neighbours, your workmates. Is your time and your energy and your creativity all directed towards helping people to know Jesus? And beyond our backyards, are you giving to world missions so that people can hear about Jesus? I, I think this crash landing application is probably the one that is the most uncomfortable for us. I think we find this really hard. And recently as a church, hopefully you've noticed, we've changed our vision to be loving God, loving God's people, leading people to Jesus because we recognize that we actually need to get better at this. And so you'll hear us talking about this more and more. You'll hear us talking about some simple steps that we can all take that go a long way in, in shaping your life around helping to lead people to Jesus. Things like having people into your space, into your home. Things like going to other people's things that they've got going on in their lives before you try and invite them to your things. But where it all starts is doing what Paul says, joining him in the struggle, in prayer, praying for people who don't know Jesus, who don't see the truth about him, to come to know him. The next bump in this crash landing asks us, are we all in this together? If Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, then race is no barrier. Politics, social status, gender, age, vaccination status. None of these things matter. Dividing over these things only gets in the way of working together to see the message about Jesus go out into all the world. But you know, these barriers, they don't, you don't just dismiss them as you dismiss them in your mind. You know, people who don't think they're racist or sexist can still be those things completely. These barriers have been smashed by Jesus and they disappear for us as we live that out. As we invite people very different into our lounge rooms and into our lives. And as we genuinely call each other brother and sister, people who would naturally be quite different to us. But we see that in Jesus we're exactly the same. You know, we disobey Jesus and we undermine the mission when we try to rebuild those barriers that he's torn down. And finally, as we hit the tarmac in this crash landing, are you watching out for those who would throw obstacles in front of you to stop you obeying Jesus? There'll always be people doing that. Are you clear enough on the gospel that you're able to tell who's on the same page and who will actually lead you away from trusting and obeying Jesus? as Lord and Saviour. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the amazing letter of Romans, your word, inspired by your Holy Spirit, spoken to us, still speaking to us. Lord, we pray that we would see just how amazing the gospel is, that we can stand before you in your presence right now, completely righteous in your eyes, not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus, because of what he's done at the cross and because he lives as our Lord and Saviour. We pray, Lord, that we'd see the reality of this, 
that Jesus really did live and die and rise and that the gospel really does need to go out there so that all people have the opportunity to come into your family. Lord, we pray that we would not throw up stupid barriers in the way of, of being your people and in the way of taking your gospel to the world. Lord, forgive us where we throw up those barriers. And Lord, help us instead to help each other live for Jesus. Help us to recognize when people would lead us astray from that. We pray, Lord, that you would be at work amongst us as a church. We admit that we find it so hard to lead people to Jesus and we ask that you would do that work through us as we work for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.